sing a song to you. morning, Bryansburg. It is good to see you this morning. I hope you've had a good week. We uh, thank the Lord for all of those who were here last night. Thank you for so many of you who worked in our Harvest Festival last night. We had hundreds of people here and I uh, served a lot of hot dogs and a, a lot of chili and I had a lot of fun with the uh, folks coming through and playing games and getting to talk to them and have conversations and I want to thank you for your hard work and uh, we're excited about this opportunity this morning 
to do what the Lord's called us to do today, and that is to worship our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm, I hope that's why you're here, because that's why we're here. And for those of you that are joining us through television or through Facebook Live, we want to welcome you as well. And for those of you there on Facebook Live this morning, if you will, put your name there in the comment section. Helps us to know who's worshiping with us, and we'd love to know that you're there. If you've got any prayer requests, we'd love to reach out to you in that way as well this morning. So glad that you're with us. If this is your first opportunity to be with us here at Brownsburg, we'd like to welcome you as well. There is a card in the pew in front of you, or at least somewhere on that pew, hopefully in front of you. If you'll grab that and take it out, fill that out, and place it in the offering plate there on the large round table in the foyer as you're leaving this morning. We appreciate that. Helps us to know of your attendance, but more important to us, helps us to know how we can minister to you and your family. And I'm very glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, as we continue through the month of October, headed into November, uh, we continue to have a lot of opportunities to do ministry. And I want to remind our student ministry, our 6th through 12th graders, that tonight you're going to be doing an Operation Christmas Child mission project. Uh, so at 6 o'clock, you'll need to be over at the youth house. Uh, that mission project will be set up over there. And so uh, please do meet over there. And also, uh, right after the service this evening, uh, we need some help setting up some of the Operation Christmas Child stuff in uh, the activity center and so if some of you right after the service can help us with that we appreciate it as it will take uh, a few hands getting that stuff from the garage back over into the activity center for the month of november also want to remind you of our prayer meetings that have started up we'll now be having prayer meetings on monday morning at 6 30 and that'll go to about 6 50 give you time to still get to work get the kids to school uh, but want to have that time to start out our week and then on wednesday nights from 6 30 to 6 50 we'll be having a prayer time before our discipleship university classes and so uh, be a part of whichever one of those works best for you and we've already had two great uh, prayer meetings and the lord has moved during those times and i hope that you'll make a schedule uh, that that helps you to be a part of one of those during the week also, our ladies are going to be having a work day today, and I hope that you can be a part of that as, uh, as they'll be working here at the church. Also, your Frida Harris uh, toys are due today. Those do not need to be wrapped. Please do not wrap those, but do bring them in, and today is the deadline for that. You see the other items that are going on, and make sure that you see those things that pertain to you and your family. And we do have many on our prayer list, and as Brother Rockney alluded to, we've got a lot of folks who have had a difficult week. We've had several folks in the hospital and some pretty major surgeries that have been going on, and we want to lift them up and ask just the Lord to lay his healing hand upon them. Uh, we've got some folks that are still dealing with some very long-term illness situations and uh, pray for them and their families. But most importantly, we want to pray for the lost. We want to pray for those that do not yet have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and pray for the opportunity to have a gospel conversation with them. On Sunday nights, last week we started our, uh, our evangelism training through three circles. We've been talking about how you turn an everyday conversation into a gospel conversation. And part of that is the prayer process of praying that the Lord would open up those, those times when that's just a, a very natural transition to tell people about Jesus and what he's doing in our lives and what he desires to do in theirs. And so we want to look for that opportunity even this week and watch how the Lord uses that and I pray for a harvest in the week to come. And so with that in mind this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we thank you. We thank you that even in the midst of the difficulties of life, even in the midst of the storm, that Lord, you are there. Lord, that you have promised that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us. 
And Lord, we need to be reminded of that. And so, Lord, this morning, in the midst of, of the situations that we find ourselves in and the needs that we find ourselves in, Lord, we know that we can lean fully on you. And Lord, this morning we lift up these many prayer needs, Lord, these who are experiencing physical needs within their bodies. We pray for your healing hand to be placed upon them. Lord, for families that are struggling, relationships that are broken, Lord, we pray that you would again minister to them as the God of reconciliation. Lord, we know that when financial needs hit us, when there's job issues that hit us, Lord, that you're the God who provides. But most importantly, Lord, we thank you that you are the God of salvation. And Lord, that when we're concerned about our spouse or our kids or our grandkids or our best friend or our coworker or our classmate, because we know they're lost, Lord, that we can cry out to you and we can intercede on their behalf. And Lord, you're going to give us opportunities to share. And Lord, you're going to prepare their hearts, Lord, that they might hear and they, they might turn away from sin and they might trust you by faith and have a relationship with you. And so, Lord, that's what we cry out for again this morning. We pray for a harvest, Lord. We we pray for individuals to move from spiritual death to spiritual life, even today. Lord, if there's even one who's here, who's watching on television, who's watching on Facebook Live, Lord, but if, if they hear the gospel proclaimed and they recognize that they're lost, I pray that today they might be saved. To your honor and to your glory. Lord, we love you. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I see. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel, Lord, to give up I'd be a fool. You are my all in
shout to the Lord, as the song says. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your
Well, this morning I thought I'd start by singing a special. Oh, stop running out the back. I, just kidding. No. No, I, our soloist has laryngitis, so you're not going to get a special from me. But you will get a sermon, okay? So I'll just take up the extra time in the sermon. How about that? If you will, turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Again, it was wonderful to have the opportunity to see so many folks uh, from our community last night and to be able to just to kind of spend some time um, playing with the kids and hanging out with the kids. And um, again, just what a blessing it is to, to be your pastor and to be able to do ministry in our community the way that we did last night. And to see you working games, to see you grilling hot dogs and serving chips and chili and, and giving hay rides. Um, we want our community to know that we love them. We want the community to know, more importantly, that Jesus loves them. And so I want to thank you for your hard work and, and ministry in that way last night. And I want to thank Brother Rockney for his leadership in a very, very stressful week uh, to get all that together. Uh, that was no small undertaking. And uh, to be running back and forth from uh, the hospital and trying to get everything together here, I appreciate uh, his leadership in that so much uh, this past week. As you turn there to Genesis chapter 4, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder that you have made a way from the very foundations of the world for us to have a relationship with you. And that, Lord, even as we rebelled and tried to push you away, even, Lord, as we were diving deeper into our sin, Lord, that you have constantly been pursuing us. But, Lord, we must recognize that sin is always crouching at the door, desiring to have us. And Lord, that if we don't yet have a relationship with you, Lord, that that's a very dangerous place to be because we are not promised tomorrow. And so, Lord, I pray that today you would speak boldly through your word. Lord, I pray that my friends who are here today, and there are many who don't yet have that relationship with you, that they would hear clearly that you're speaking to them today. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that we would recognize that this is the gospel message. Lord, that sin must be dealt with. And there's only one way. And it's always been the blood. It's always been the cross. And so, Lord, help us to recognize that. That we might all the more eagerly go to share that gospel message with the lost and dying world around us. Lord, I know that I'm a very weak vessel. So once again today, I pray that you might hide me behind the cross. That only you'd be seen and only you'd be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we have begun this journey through the book of Genesis, one of the things that we've recognized is the book of Genesis is all about beginnings. Genesis records the beginning of the universe, the beginning of the world, of the sun, the moon, the stars, of animal life, of plant life, of human life, along with many other very important things. And in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, uh, we see the first that appear, uh, the first man, the first woman, the first command from God. We see the first marriage, the first home, the first sin, the first death, the first sacrifice, the first worship, the first murder, 
the first curse, and so on. And so this morning in chapter 4, the Lord gives us a glimpse inside the world's first family. Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, are the focus of these verses that we have before us today. And while there are many great truths in this passage, there's one that I want to, to point out to you this morning. In the life of Cain, I see a portrait of every sinner who has ever lived. We see that in the life of Cain. When you look at Cain, you see the embodiment of Proverbs 16, 25. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The Lord even warns Cain in verse 7 this morning. If thou dost well, shalt not there be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth, or sin is crouching at the door. And unto thee shalt be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. In those two verses, it describes the life of Cain, I believe, perfectly. They describe the lives of all those who live, not by faith, but who walk after the flesh. It is a lifestyle that the Bible calls the way of Cain there in Jude 11. The passage we will study today reveals the characteristics of all of those who would refuse to live according to God's word and according to God's will. This passage serves as a warning to us today as well that sin is crouching at the door. Examine your heart. Examine your heart this morning, and if you see these characteristics that we see in the life of Cain, if you see these reflected in your life, it indicates that you desperately need to be saved. If this describes you every time you come to church on a Sunday morning, if you're doing the same things that Cain did, there is a problem. I encourage you to come to him today, to believe the gospel, and to look to Christ for salvation. If you're saved... And you see these characteristics in those around you. I would challenge you to lift them up in prayer and to determine in your heart right here today that you will do whatever it takes to take this gospel message to them as well. With that in mind, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had no respect. Cain was not raw, and, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him and the Lord said unto Cain where is Abel thy brother and he said I know not am I my brother's keeper and he said what hast thou done the voice of thy brother's blood crieth 
unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. You may be seated. Sin is crouching at the door. What does it look like to have the heart of a lost man? We see it in the life of Cain. Look with me at verse, verses 1 through 5. When we look at Cain, we see an unbelieving heart. This chapter begins with a picture of great hope. Remember where we were last week. Adam and Eve have sinned in Eden. They're cast out of the beautiful garden by the Lord. God has placed an angel with a flaming sword at the entrance of Eden to prevent Adam and Eve from being able to re-enter into Eden and to be able to take of the fruit of the tree of life and thus to be cursed by eternally being separated from him. Adam and Eve, we see here, are driven out of the garden and forced to eke out an existence by working the ground for their food. No longer are they in the beautiful paradise, but they're in the field separated from uh, right relationship with the Lord. Their lives, which had been so perfect before they sinned, have changed in every way possible. And now their lives revolved around hard labor and unending drudgery and endless regret. And the days of walking with the Lord in, in the cool of the garden are gone. They've sacrificed that for rebellion. They're consigned to a life of pain and sorrow and toil. And God tells them eventually death. All hope seemed gone. And then we come to Genesis 4.1. Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Suddenly, there was hope. Suddenly, in the face of certain death, there was the wonder of new life, the hope of a new beginning, and the promise of a better tomorrow. And while we're here, let's think about what the Lord means in those verses, that he knew her. The Bible says Adam knew his wife. The word knew means to know fully, to know by experience. The word new is, of course, speaking of the fact that they came together and, and had sexual intercourse and Adam and Eve came, uh, had a physical union, but the word expresses something so much deeper than that. The word know suggests a far deeper connection between a man and a woman than what is possible in the casual atmosphere that surrounds sex in our world today. We live in a culture that has cheapened and denigrated the idea of sex. Most people in our culture believe that they can engage in, in casual sex and then still have a, lo a long time satisfying relationship with that person without having the bond of marriage. But we see that that's wrong. People engage in illicit sexual activity without understanding the much deeper spiritual aspects behind it. There's more to human sexual experience than just physical pleasure, which is what the world teaches us. The view of sex that dominates our society is warped and it's distorted God's intention in the gift of sex to humanity. When the Bible says that Adam knew his wife, it refers not just to a physical union, so much more. It's the, a commitment to know her in every dimension. 
It's a commitment to, to study and to learn everything there is about her. It refers to a union that is not only one flesh, but one heart. It's one goal. It's one life together. There's a commitment that is being promised here. If people brought that understanding into these physical relationships today, we wouldn't have the issues with premarital sex and adultery around us, that those would cease to be because we'd understand what is really being talked about here by the Lord, that is it's a promise being made to one another. But going back to what we talked about, a new life has begun. Eve, like billions of her daughters to follow, must have been excited when she found out that there was a new life within her. There was just a joy unspeakable of the promise that that meant. I can imagine her calling Adam over and saying, feel, feel, th- this, this new life is inside of my body. And I'm sure he, he would, like all of us dads have done, wanted to put his hand there and, and try to feel his baby maybe for the very first time. I can imagine him putting his ear up to her stomach and saying, I, I, I think I can hear the heartbeat even. There's something joyful and exciting and wonderful about the birth of a new baby. One day, the wait was over. And Eve gave birth to that first baby, the very first baby ever, ever born into this world. And Eve was the first woman to experience the pain of childbirth, but on the heels of that experience, she was also the first to experience the overwhelming joy of holding her newborn baby in her arms. Eve named that baby Cain. The name means I have gotten. Eve gives glory to God for this new baby boy. And she says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She saw the birth as a time of divine blessing in her life, in the life of her family, in the life of the world in general. And then came the next baby whom she named Abel. And his name means breath, vapor, perishable. And the name would be very prophetic as their second son perished like a breath exhaled into the air you see these boys may have been twins verse 2 refers to Abel's birth without the mention of a second conception but whether or not they're twins it doesn't really matter what matters is that the sadness of Adam and Eve's sin everything that they lost in fellowship with the Lord seems to have been mitigated in some way because of their children these babies brought hope into the world that must have seemed hopeless for a time as babies possess the power to do. There's just something special about a baby. They change our lives forever. They bring joy where there may have been sorrow. They bring laughter where there may have been anger. They bring hope where there may have been no hope at all. A hope for tomorrow when those tiny wiggling and crying creatures come into the world, it changes everything. And it changed everything for Adam and Eve. These two boys grew up together. They grew up in the exact same home. They had the same parents, received the same instruction, saw the same things. They shared the same experiences of life. But as they grew, differences began to emerge from these two boys. When it came to time to choose a job, they chose honorable vocations. Cain followed in his father's footsteps, and he became a farmer. Abel, though, became a shepherd. Both vocations were important. They, they helped to sustain the family. They were both very much needed. But at the same point, probably, at, as they reached young adulthood, these young men came before the Lord. They came before the Lord to worship. And I'm sure they had been trained by their parents as to how they were to approach God. Cain, you 
Imagine what kind of evangelist Cain and Abel's mom and dad were. Adam and Eve knew God in the most real sense. They knew what it was to, to walk with God. They knew what it was to lose sweet fellowship with God. They were there when Adam, they were there when God confronted them over their sin and, and killed an animal to provide a covering for their nakedness in Genesis 3.21. And I can imagine they shared that information with their sons of what that felt like, what that was like. I wonder how many times Adam took these children on his knee and he told them about God. And, they to, and he told them about how God was to be worshipped. Specifically about how God was to be worshipped. Blood sacrifice. Blood sacrifice that pointed to a promise that God had given to them. I wonder how many times Eve had warned them not to listen to the enemy, but to trust the Lord and not to make the same mistakes that they had made. So in verses 3 and 4, Cain and Abel come before God to make an offering to him. The Bible says in verse 4 that the Lord had respect to Abel and his offering. But then in verse 5 it says, but unto Cain and his offering he had no respect. The word respect means to look upon something with approval now i'm sure you've heard a lot of different theories as i have of of why abel was accepted and cain was not and why abel's offering was accepted and and cain's was not god did not accept abel's offering over cain simply because abel's was a blood sacrifice that's that's part of it but not all of it god did not reject cain's sacrifice simply because it was not an animal sacrifice while the kind of sacrifice offered plays a part. Why God rejected one and accepted the other here is much greater significance than simply animal versus produce. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned in Eden, God killed an innocent animal to provide a covering for their nakedness. Fig leaves would not be enough. When God did that, he chose an innocent substitute. An innocent substitute Its blood had to be shed to atone for the guilty sinner. And yet, in both Deuteronomy and Leviticus, God also told Israel to offer grain and food offerings, to thank him for his blessings and to acknowledge him as the source of their provision. The fruit of the field was therefore an offering that was accepted by God. However, however, we see throughout Scripture, from the very beginning to the very end, The primary and the necessary sacrifice was always blood sacrifice, in which an innocent substitute died for a guilty sinner. So in the Garden of Eden, God established that pattern for approaching him that would never change. It would always require the blood of an innocent party. The ultimate sacrifice, of course, that all of that was pointing to was Jesus Christ. When he would come in fulfillment of what had been pointed to since Eden. And he would give his life, his innocent life. He would give his blood, his atoning blood on the cross of Calvary. To redeem the lost, to satisfy the just demands of a holy and righteous God over sin. And to wash the sinner clean. It's always been through the blood. There's only one way for man to come to God. From Genesis to Revelation, God's method for cleansing sin, for taking away our sin, has always remained the same. It takes the blood of the innocent 
to cleanse the sinner from their sins. We see it in Eden in 321. We see it in Egypt. We see it during the Passover when the blood of the lamb protected the people of Israel from the death angel. We see it throughout the long history of worship in Israel when the high priest on the day of atonement entered the holy of holies with the blood of a substitutionary and atoning sacrifice. And it all culminated at Calvary when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was judged in the place of us as sinners. We see it throughout Scripture. And so while, there, while that must have been part of what is happening here, I think something else is even deeper taking place in this Scripture. Notice the wording of verse 4. And Abel he also brought of the firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof. That wording is important. That wording is very important. Firstling. Firstlings suggest the very best. The phrase of the fat thereof speaks of a careful preparation that was made. Abel carefully selected his very, very best. He took the time, the necessary time, to sacrifice in the way that had been prescribed from his father down to him. He brought it before the Lord and he offered it. He offered it by faith, recognizing what this meant. It appears that Abel went out of his way to offer a sacrifice that was pleasing unto the Lord. In Genesis 3.21, God sets the pattern of sacrifice. Blood was required. In Genesis 3.15, God promised that one day a Savior would come and that he would crush the head of the enemy. And so Abel's sacrifice said that he believed God. He said, Lord, I accept your promise, and I'm going to worship according to your promise. The writer of Hebrews even says this about Abel's sacrifice in Hebrews 11.4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gift, and by it. He being dead, yet speaketh. Abel's sacrifice said, I believe you, Lord. He is coming. He believed the promise of a Messiah. Even here, his sacrifice revealed the condition of his heart. Abel loved God. Abel honored God's word. Abel believed in God's promise to send a Savior and according to verse 5, God both accepted Abel and he accepted Abel's offering. 1 John 3.12 says that his works were righteous. What does that mean? It means he had faith behind it. Abel's faith in God's promise translated to God accepting Abel and to God declaring him righteous. Cain, Cain on the other hand, is said to have brought the fruit of the ground. He brought the fruit of the ground. There's no evidence of faith in the promise of God from the offering that Cain brought. There is no evidence of preparation of any kind. In other words, Cain's offering said, you know what, God, I, I know what you said, but here's what I'm going to give you. You can take it or leave it. Kind of sounds like our worship a lot of times, doesn't it? Here's the leftovers. God, you can take it or leave it. Here's the leftover of my time. Here's the leftover of my energy. Take it or leave it. Cain's offering was an act of false worship. He said, my way will work just as well as your way, God. Here's something. 
Here's something, I'm offering it to you. He found out instantly that it did not work that way. Because God rejected both Cain and his offering. It seems to me that Cain was merely following a form. You know what Cain was? Cain was a religious man. And you know what religious men are? Religious men are lost. If we're going through the motions, if we think that our work's going to do it, if we think we can just put it in a form and, and mail it in, then we, like Cain, will be lost. It doesn't work that way. He was following form. There was no love in his heart. There was no gratitude to God for the blessing. He said, I'm here, aren't I? I'm putting in my time. I'm putting in my offering. You should be happy with it, God. That was Cain's attitude. In Abel, there is an acknowledgement of sin. There is an acknowledgement from Abel, I need a Savior. But in Cain, there is neither one. Cain neither acknowledged that he was a sinner or that he needed a Savior because of his lack of faith and dependence on self. God rejected him in his offering. He said, it doesn't work that way, Cain. So there's a warning here that we today in Brinesburg, Kentucky, here on October the 30th of 2022, we need to heed this warning too. God will not accept our religion. Let me say it louder for those in the back. God will not accept our religion. If that's all this is to you, if you think coming on a Sunday morning is going to get it done, because you're in the right pew that you've been in for the last 50 years, and because you're here, that's enough. Because you put your offerings in the plate, that that's enough. Because you were baptized at some point, that that's enough. But your void of relationship, it's not going to get it done. He will not accept works from anyone. He will not accept anything that we can do in an attempt to save ourselves from anyone. The only thing that God will accept is what he has already provided for you. He will accept nothing but faith in the atoning sacrifice in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what Abel offered. I believe your promise, Lord. Cain revealed his lost condition, though. The condition of an unbelieving heart. And he refused to come to God God's way. And in short, he rejected the gospel of grace and God rejected him. So what does your heart this morning say about you? Have you believed the gospel? Are you trusting Jesus and what he did as the only hope for your salvation? Or is your hope in other things? Things like works, things like religious deeds, things like a, a good life or church membership or baptism or anything else. It won't get you there. God says in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But secondly, look at verses 5 through 7. An unrepentant heart. As soon as Cain realized his offering had been rejected by God, the Bible says his countenance fell. It means his whole demeanor had changed. He was dejected. He could not understand why God would accept Abel's offering and not his. They had both offered something. Shouldn't that be good enough? God knows what is in Cain's heart, though. So in verses 6 and 7, God speaks to Cain, and he asks him, Why was so upset? The word wrath in verse 5 and 6 means to burn with anger, to burn with jealousy. And so God tells Cain in verse 7 that if he did what was right, that he would be accepted. Now what he's saying is not, go get an animal. If you, if you give me an animal, that's good enough. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you don't have faith in your heart. You didn't offer anything by faith. You're just 
again, filling in a form and pushing it in front of me. He says, if you will come in the right way by faith, then you'll be accepted. God wants Cain to repent of his attitudes toward God and to walk by, by faith in God. To walk in humility and submission like his brother Abel did. He wanted him to have that same faith, that same relationship to him. God is looking to produce a change of heart, a change of mind in Cain, not a change of sacrifice. He wants something to change inside of Cain. So God warns him that sin is like a wild beast, that it's crouching, that it's ready to pounce, that it's lying just outside the door, ready to consume him. That beast is waiting to pounce and devour. And if Cain will come to God, God's way, then he can have power over that beast. But if he doesn't change, if he doesn't repent, if he doesn't honor God, God's way, then sin will have control over his entire life. And we know which way that Cain chose to go. He refused to repent. He refused to love the Lord. He refused to walk in God's plan. And sin absolutely consumed and came to identify Cain's life. Every unbeliever who has passed through this world since Cain has that same problem. They possess an unrepentant heart. The lost sinner is a slave to sin and to Satan. And God calls the lost to repent of their sins, to turn to him and to walk in his will and his word and his way. And this is the only path that will ever lead to heaven. No other way will get you there. All other roads will lead you straight to hell. So if you're lost this morning, you need to know that sin will consume you unless you are willing to come God's way, not your way. And you may think that you're in charge of your life. And you may think that you are the master of your own destiny. And you may think you can get saved whenever you want to get saved. But the truth is quite different. Sin is deceptive. And it is a cruel taskmaster. And if you, if you will lead, it will lead you along with its pleasures and it will entice you with its promises. But at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. The path of sin always leads to disillusionment, defeat, and death. The path of sin always leads away from peace and hope and joy. The path of sin always ends, always ends in the fires of hell. So there is but one remedy for sin, and that remedy is the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave his life so that you might be given new life. He came for those who, like Abel, understand that they need a Savior. He, he, he came for the lost, Mark 2, 17. They, are, they that, that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. God will not help someone like Cain. But what do I mean by that? No one can help someone like Cain. No one can because of their attitude. They're unwilling to be helped. They're unwilling to hear the gospel. No matter how many times they sit before the preaching of the gospel, the teaching of the gospel, they will not hear it. The person who refuses to acknowledge his or her spiritual condition and who refuses to repent of sin cannot and will not be saved. If you can sit here week after week and say, I'm not going to say yes to Jesus. I'm not going to say yes to Jesus. I'm not going to say yes to Jesus. You have the unrepentant heart of Cain. And until that heart changes, you will not be saved. 
All those who are lost and remain that way are characterized by an unrepentant heart. But if you are willing to repent, if you're willing to come to him, he says, you shall be saved. Look with me at verses 8 through 10, and we see an ungodly heart. These last few verses of the text demonstrate the outcome of sin. In Cain's case, as in the case of every lost sinner, the condition of his heart determines the course of his entire life. The beast of sin pounced on Cain and devoured his heart and his conscience and even the love that he had once had for his brother. And notice how sin manifests itself in Cain's life. Verse 8 tells us that Cain murders his brother. How did he kill him? I'm sure he killed him like he'd always seen animals killed. He probably went up and he slit his throat. That's how he's seen sacrifices killed, and I'm sure that's what he had done as well. So why did Cain kill Abel? Because he was jealous. Because Abel had something that Cain did not have. Abel had a faith relationship with God, and unbelievers always demonstrate animosity and anger towards people of faith. This is what happens here. Back in verse 5, the Bible says that Cain was angered by God's rejection of his offering. Guess what? Cain could not kill God. He was angry with God. He couldn't kill God, but he could kill his brother, and so he went and he killed him. He killed the one who had relationship with God. The anger towards God in his heart reveals itself in the murder of his brother. In verse 9, God comes to Cain and asks about the whereabouts of Abel. And this is the same thing God did when Adam and Eve fell into sin. And in 3-9, God came looking for the fallen couple and he says, well, art thou? Well, Cain answered the Lord with a lie. He said, I know not where my brother is. This is another indication of the sin that had taken control of his life. And then he gave the Lord a, a sarcastic answer. He said to him, am I my brother's keeper? He knew that his brother had been a shepherd. He knew that he had been a keeper of sheep. And he said, I'm not the shepherd of my brother. He basically is saying, God, if you love him so much, you take care of him. You keep up with him. It's a sarcastic answer towards God. In verse 10, God tells Cain that he knows what he's done. He knows what Cain has done. He says that the blood of Abel cries out from the ground. The blood of Abel was not silent. It cried out for justice, and justice is what Cain would receive. So what I want you to see here is a fundamental biblical truth. The condition of the heart will determine the course of our life. What is seen in the life externally reveals the character of the man or the woman internally. And so in Cain's life, sin manifested its control in anger, in jealousy, then in hatred, than in murder and in lying. All those actions prove that Cain possesses an unredeemed heart. And so while we are not to stand in judgment of one another, this truth still applies today. The life always reveals the condition of the heart. We can tell what a person is like inwardly by the way that we see the fruits of their life externally. We can profess anything we want, but the truth of who we are will be lived out in our life. Proverbs 4, 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Matthew 12, 34 through 35, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasures of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasures bringeth forth evil things. And in Matthew 15, 16 through 20, Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly, 
and is cast out into the drought. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Brinesburg, what does your life say about the condition of your heart this morning? Verses 11 through 13 are going to chronicle the rest of Cain's tragic story. Cain is punished by God. The ground is cursed for him. For a farmer, that would have been devastating. God says, your sin has poisoned the earth against you. No matter where you go or how hard you work, the earth that swallowed your brother's blood is going to stand in testimony against you, and it will not honor your work with fruit. In addition to that, you will be a fugitive. You're going to be a wanderer. It says a vagabond for the rest of your days. Verse 13 lets us know that Cain got it. He understood the severity of the punishment. He paid a high price for his sin all the days of his life. He was banished from both home and family. He was consigned to a horrible, desperate existence. And the name Cain appears in the Bible 20 times in 17 verses. His name appears only three times in the New Testament, but every single time it's a negative. It's a negative connotation. The verse that stands out to me is 1 John 3.12. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. That verse tells us, it gives testimony to the ultimate fate of Cain, that he died and he went to hell because his life was always consumed with doing that which the enemy, the wicked one, had told him to do. A sobering thought is is that Cain was the very first child born into this world. He was born to parents who were obviously not perfect, but who knew God, who had walked with God, who taught him the truth of how to worship God who had a brother who knew God, who knew how to approach God. And yet, Cain was a lost man, and in the end, the very first baby born was lost and will spend eternity in hell. So don't let that happen to you. Don't walk in the way of Cain. You need a Savior, and there is only one. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he died on the cross to open the way of salvation for you. And if you will come to God through him, then he will accept you. If you come the way he has called you to come, by grace through faith, he will accept you. If you try to go at it your own way and do your own thing and think your works are going to get you there, then you will go in the way of Cain. John 14, 6 clearly says, Jesus saith unto him, I am... The way and the truth and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Do you need to come to Jesus this morning? If you do, the time to come to him is now. Are you saved? You ought to thank him for the grace that he provided for your salvation, that he made the way for you. You ought to come before God and pray for those who do not yet know him. Because as he says here, sin is crouching at the door and a decision must be made. Our world is filled with people who are walking in the way of Cain, who are trying to do it their own way, who think they can present whatever they want to God and it's going to be good enough. He tells us there's only one way. Have you come into relationship with that one way? Who is Jesus? Lord, Heavenly Father, this morning, I need to get out of the way and allow you to do the work that only you can do. And Lord, I know I've got some friends here this morning 
who are going down the same path that Cain went down, thinking that they can do it their own way, thinking that salvation can, can happen whenever they want it to happen. Someday in the distant future, I'm going to make that decision. And Lord, we recognize that that just won't happen because the enemy will continue to whisper lies into their ear and they will continue to go their own way. So Lord, today I pray it would be the day that they would repent and they would come to you and they would accept your sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary as the payment for their sin and that they would enter into a faith relationship with you today. Lord, if there's even one, Lord, even one person, I pray that they would come. Lord, today I know many of us need to pray for our one. We need to cry out to you and intercede on their behalf, recognizing that there is only one way to be saved. And so today, I I pray that you would do a work that only you can do in our midst and that as we leave this place, that we would be able to rejoice that lives have been changed for eternity. To your honor and glory, Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.